Hello everyone, this is William Coldwell, your host. I would just like to say thank you for listening to The 21st Rewrite. The 21st Rewrite is intended to be an in-depth screenwriting podcast. Whether you are a listener who is just curious about how one of your favorite films was developed, or maybe you're working as a writer or filmmaker right now, I hope that our detailed explorations are informative and enjoyable. I would just like to begin by putting this episode into context. Most of you are probably familiar with the subject of this episode. Slumdog Millionaire was an incredibly popular film that won the Academy Award for Best Picture in 2008. It told the story of a young boy named Jamal Malik, played by Dev Patel, who grew up in the slums of Mumbai. The other main characters of the story were Salim, Jamal's elder brother, played by Madhur Mittal, and Latika, the love of Jamal's life, played by Frida Pinto and the reason why he goes on, who wants to be a millionaire. I do recommend that you have seen the film before listening, as we will be discussing the full scope of the story, including the ending. There will also be a similar level of detail for the book Q&A, which the screenplay was based on. However, of course, you do not need to have read it, unless you happen to, by any chance, be planning to read it sometime in the future, and don't want it spoiled for you. If you are a screenwriter, you may be interested in this particularly because Simon Beaufoy, also known for The Full Monty and Battle of the Sexes, won the Best Adapted Screenplay Award for this one, deviating, as we shall see, significantly from the source material to create something completely new. You may also notice at one point that we mention another episode in which we discussed the screenplay for Gladiator. Unfortunately, we had some sound problems with that one. Originally, it was intended to be our first episode, as it was the biggest film of the year 2000, and our podcast focuses entirely on the 21st century in screenwriting. However, I'm still working on trying to salvage that one, and hopefully I can release it as a bit of bonus content for interested listeners at some point in the future. That's all I wanted to say for now. I hope you enjoy the show. Hello and welcome to the 21st Rewrite Podcast, the podcast about screenplays written in the 21st century. I'm William Coldwell and I'm joined, as always, by my guest, Alan Vasquez. And today we are dissecting Slumdog Millionaire, written by Simon Beaufoy, directed by Danny Boyle. And it is based on the book by Vika Swarup, titled Q&A, which is a little different from, from the film. So, written by an Indian author mm-hmm. and then adapted for film by Englishman. Right. You had the experience of actually reading the book. I didn't get a chance to read the book, but I am aware of some of the differences between the book and the script and the film. So, right off the bat, what would, would you say is the biggest difference between the book and the script? The book itself is kind of like a collection of short stories. They're about different aspects of the life of the same character. And right. this character is, is not called Jamal. He is right, called, he has a different name. Yeah, yeah he's called Ram mm-hmm. Mohammed Thomas. And the story behind this is that he was taken in as a child by a uh, Christian, an Englishman, mm. Father Thomas. He was then confronted by the leaders of the society in India. Sorry, the leaders of the of the religious societies in India. Right. One Hindu and one Muslim. And right. they were both vying over naming the child. 
So mm. the compromise was to name him Ram as a Hindu name and Muhammad as a Muslim name and then keep the surname Thomas. Mm. And he says, it's lucky that the leader of the Sikhs wasn't there that day too, otherwise my name would have got even longer. <laughs> From the very beginning, he's this, this child without a real origin. He's orphaned, uh, which is something that's reflected in the screenplay as well, that, that the character is eventually orphaned. In the book, he's an orphan from before he can remember. So he has no memory of his real mother or father. Mm, okay. He therefore has this ability to kind of move between worlds because he is partly Hindu, partly Muslim, partly Christian. So he has this uncanny ability to, to switch between worlds. And the stories he tells are all stories about how he knew the answers to the questions. So he's initially under pressure from the police Mm -hmm. who believe he cheated and must have had an accomplice telling him the answers. Instead of revealing his story to the police, as he does in the film, he's actually talking to a woman who has turned up out of nowhere, saying that she's going to be his lawyer and represent him. He's able to speak a bit more candidly. This is kind of reflected in the screenplay, that when he mentions being an accomplice to murder, that, that right. someone had killed someone and he hadn't reported the murder, so the police would have something on him. In in the book, he's able to talk a lot more freely because he's talking to the lawyer. Right. And he does mention two murders. In this book, he actually is a murderer himself. He's killed two people. Oh, wow. But he has very good reasons for doing so. Mm. And the stories take you through all of the different classes in Indian society. So living in the slums, working in restaurants, all the way up, working as a tour guide in the Taj Mahal, as also mm. happens in the screenplay, and then all the way up to being with the, the Christian priest and being part of the Australian diplomat's household. Mm. So he, he gets this big sense of all the different aspects of India, Mumbai, Agra, New Delhi, different places that he visits along this journey. Right. And so you're given this kind of overall sense of what India is about and all these different stories. What I really took away from the book are two very important uh, pieces of symbolism. So the first is his name. He's meant to represent everyone in India. He has a name that represents lots and lots of different people, different cultures that live side by side, that have to interact with each other and be part of each other's story as as Indians altogether. Right. And the second piece of symbolism that, that really drives this home is he has this lucky rupee that he carries around. And he uses the the coin to make decisions hmm. by flipping it heads or tails. At the end of the book it's revealed that it always comes up heads. It's a trick coin and it has heads on both sides. So whatever he wants to do, he says he's gonna consult his coin and he flips it. And in the book the quiz show that he goes on is going to be the biggest prize ever given away in history. And that's why they don't want anyone to win it. Mm. And the prize is one billion rupees, which would be something like $10 million. Mm. So for someone in India, that would be staggering amount of wealth. For I mean, for anyone people, really in I the think. world, but, yeah. Yeah, but even more <laughs> so in India. So yeah, it's... Yeah. No prize like this is being given away on a game show in America or Britain or anywhere like that. And yet they're offering it in this, this big show in India. But the problem is they haven't made the money. 
contests mm. because he's one of the early contestants. So they don't actually have the money to give away. And that's why they're trying to prove that he lied in some way. Okay. But there's a significance to that figure of one billion because that also happens to be the population of India. Mm. So he carries around this one rupee. He's kind of symbolically represented as this one rupee with mm. among a billion. And the way he, he can answer all the questions is by having all these different experiences, by going into all these different places, different cities, different levels of society, and learning a piece of information that will allow him to answer one question. Mm. So there's this nice little bit of symbolism that's kind of lost. Both of these pieces are lost in the screenplay. Right. Jamal is just Muslim in the screenplay. Mm-hmm. And the prize, maybe it was adapted because they had some sort of deal with the real show who wants to be a millionaire and wanted to actually copy the structure of the prize that's being given away. Right. In both stories, he doesn't necessarily want to win the money. Right. He's got another agenda that he can achieve by going on the show. So what is the agenda he has in the book? Because in the film, it, and it's one of the differences that I saw, which is that there's no Latika in the book. And I think I read that he's got a couple of different romances, but not one that would be like Latika. And in the film, that, that is the main, that's the center focus. It's the romance and the love story between Jamal and Latika. And that is the reason why he's in this game show is to, to reach out to her. So in the book, what is his agenda? In the book, his agenda is actually to get revenge on the host of the show, Prem. Wow, interesting. So Prem actually turns up in a couple of the side stories, although we don't know who he is at the time. And it's the same name from the film? It's still Prem, yeah. So Prem is the presenter of the show. Right. They really tone him down in the film. And in the screenplay, he's a bit meaner to Jamal. Yes. And they tone that down for the final version. I totally picked up on that too, yeah. Yeah. But in the book, he's, he's really bad. And he appears in a couple of stories... One of them is a story about an actress who has this boyfriend who who abuses her, who beats her, burns cigarettes on her, does all kinds of horrible, violent things to her. The second is a prostitute called Nita Mm. who lives in Agra, where the Taj Mahal is. And kind of part of that story about the Taj Mahal, when Ram goes and works as a tour guide there, he's introduced to the red light district by some clients of his okay. who want to take him out after after he's given them a tour of the city. Right. And he falls in love with this prostitute. And that's kind of adapted into the film with Latika going into prostitution and then him wanting to mm. save her from that. Mm. In the book, he wants to free this woman from her situation, but he can't save her because her pimp is her brother. And every time he raises the money that he would need to to buy her and, and free her, the guy raises the price. Mm. But then one day she gets beaten up as well, burnt by cigarettes. It's the same trail that was left with the, the actress before. And at the end of the book, it's revealed that it was Prem. Mm. And Ram, he pulls a gun out on him in the toilets before the last question. And he's going to kill him. And the guy begs for his life. Hmm. And he, he says he can't do it. He says he, he just can't do it. He can't pull the trigger. But he actually, there is, there's another side story that gets tied up with it. And he gets the guy assassinated after. 
So it's a revenge. It's it's a really kind of brutal revenge story. Wow, it's very very different. And so, I can see why they toned that down. Well, I mean, there's Such there's no trace of that at all in the no. film. There's no revenge aspect. I mean, it sounds yeah. like this character is very different from Jamal because Jamal is motivated by by, by love, really. by love. Yeah, yeah mm-hmm. exactly. And there's that conflict he has with his brother, but it's never to the point where. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, there's a couple moments where you could see maybe he does contemplate doing something to his brother, but never thinking about murder necessarily. So it sounds like this character is a little bit more complex. From my understanding of it, Indian society really loves gangster stories. Mm. And this is, at <clears throat> heart, it's a gangster story. And it's, it's, it's really about abuse, injustice, and the seedy underworld of Mumbai and the rest of India. Interesting. You do get that in the film too. You get, but you get that through Salim. You you get all that sort of mobs and uh, also with Latika who who becomes a prisoner of mm-hmm. a lot of these situations. But that's interesting. That is very very different. What happens to Latika is that she takes on aspects of a couple of these women that appear in the side stories right. into a single female role that we can focus on as with the limits of film just having two right. hours all of these different stories could be told it's not until the end that the common thread becomes apparent mm. with the film the idea is that you set up these strong characters and they've known each other from childhood yeah. and they all represent all of these different things that are done in a much more diverse way in the book wow that is very different I wonder what the because I, I didn't get to really research too much. Or I didn't really hear anything about why they decided to change things. Because it kind of seems like they really made it about a love story. And they made it about something that's not related too much to what everything you just said. The way I see it is it's a book that's, that's meant to be a commentary on India itself. Modern India. This multifaceted new, at least kind of reborn country that's Mm. forging out an identity out of one billion people and all of the history and legacy that's come through it and the sheer injustice of so many aspects of society. The book is very critical of child abuse and it, it shows it in huge and shocking ways, not just... I mean, one of the things that did come into the film is one of the most shocking ones, which is the blinding of children and forcing Mm. them to be beggars for life. Mm. And that was an important one to draw out. And that's just one example of many in the book. But I think it serves to kind of show that aspect of it, just the injustice and the the brutality done towards kids there. So let me ask you this, because the film does touch up on all those things Mm -hmm. in a way. But there's something about the way the script was written and set up, especially in the film, where it doesn't feel so heavy. Like you have all these very heavy scenes, but they're quickly followed by something uplifting. So there's this mixture of inspiring vibes as, as a, and also some heavy stuff that happens with these characters. But in the book, like what was your general feeling coming out of it? Like, what, Did you feel like it was an inspiring story or was it like a very sort of heavy, serious it's, uh, book. It, yeah, it's not optimistic. Mm. I think it's meant to be a commentary on society, and right. the film is an optimistic 
it's this it's the the dream of winning whether it's it's winning the money or the girl or whatever it is it's yeah. it's about an upward mobility story at its yeah. heart the film has definitely this theme of like luck versus fate this whole destiny theme is mm-hmm. and I, I don't think any of the i don't think that trait is in the book Based well, on and, what you and said. it's simplified and it's exaggerated. Salim is bad. Jamal is good. Jamal deserves to get something good in life. Salim deserves something bad to happen to him. We get this nice, tidy resolution. Right. And the book is a lot more. Right. It it explores those gray areas. And <clears throat> the the quote that I that I prepared for this one mm-hmm. basically sums up what this book is about. Um, as I said, he has these three names, Ram, Muhammad, Thomas, and you get this sense that he's he's meant to represent so many people in India all together, the, mm. this one billion. There's a, a section about what eventually comes to be a murder on a train. He starts by describing the railway station. He says, if you were to search for me in this crowded maze, where would you look? You'd probably try to find me among the dozens of street children stretched out on the smooth concrete floor in different stages of rest and slumber. You might even imagine me as an adolescent hawker, peddling plastic bottles containing tap water from the station's toilet as pure Himalayan aqua mineral. You could visualize me as one of the sweepers in dirty shirts and torn pants, shuffling across the platform, with a long swishing broom transferring dirt from the pavement onto the track. Or you could look for me among the regiments of red uniform porters, bustling about them with heavy loads on their heads. So mm-hmm. he's creating this image of he could be anyone looking mm-hmm. around this huge train station. And I, I love that train station motif because it's, it's one of the things that we think of as so different about India. That, that hustle and bustle and so many people walking, people trying to commute to and from work and getting on trains and people hanging off the, the side of trains and right. there not being any yeah. space and everyone trying to sell things. And that, that kind of paragraph, he, he really sets that image into your mind of, well, who, who are we even talking to here? We know he's an orphan and we know he's, we know some stuff about his background, but mm. if you were to try and find him in a train station, how would you? You know, even having heard so much of his story, how would you identify him amongst anyone else in India? And mm. I think that's the idea he's trying to say. I'm not special. Me being able to win this competition. Right. It's it's not because I'm special. It's because I've been out there and I've experienced things. Right. So this is what you're saying where in which he represents India because of mm-hmm. his experiences and... And sort of like a hybrid of different things that have occurred in his life. Wow, yeah. Yeah, so Jamal cannot do that. But he does represent something else. He represents hope and aspiration. Yeah. And trying to do the right thing and trying to make the circumstances of life better and trying to Mm. love someone and protect someone and not choosing the path that Salim chooses to take despite the fact they live this parallel childhood. Right, yeah. Uh, He has a deep conviction about what he wants, which is Latika. So he's got tunnel vision. And in, in a very inspiring way, you know, mm-hmm. he's following his dreams and, and nothing's really going to stop him. We see one scene after another, after another, how he just doesn't give up. He'll stop at nothing. You know, you do have Salim, who's like the other side. But I think Salim's a little bit more complicated. Anyone who's been through that kind of trauma, tr- Salim is, is almost the example of what 
should happen to you if you go through that kind of trauma. But there's also like there the, there is a seed of there was something there before yeah. a lot of yeah. The when you see the young Salim, he's already he's got this devious side to him. Yeah, even yeah. before his mom died and all these other traumatic events happened. But he's growing up in poverty. And, yeah, and yeah, that's part of it. He's he's learning how to hustle. He's learning exactly. how to force his way ahead in the world. Right and develop a morality as he gets older and he's he's seen as very conflicted he's praying and mm-hmm. asking for forgiveness and he's aware that what he's become isn't good and i love and and this part's not so obvious in the film but in the script there is adult jamal when he's living with salim when they've encountered each other again in the script it says and i think this is cut out from the film which i would i wish they would have kept it but Jamal is commenting on what he observes with Salim, how he leaves and he's gone for days sometimes and he comes back sometimes incredibly elated and joyous. And there's other times where he comes back broken and there's like an even a very small moment where he's praying. His soul is being broken. It's actually costing him now. And I love what it implies because it never tells you what he's done, but it just gives it implies that whatever he's doing it's causing him a lot one can only imagine what he's doing for for this guy that he's working for yeah well he is muslim so there's definitely restrictions on on murder and stealing for a start in the the morality he's getting from his religion inside him right uh so and he's obviously working for a gangster so we can imagine he's he's definitely violently enforcing this guy's mm-hmm. will the the gangsters will yeah and i mean it kind of just make uh, makes you feel for him uh i mean i feel for Salim. i, I never I, I mean you can see the the deviousness in him as a kid and as he grows he's just kind of he's surviving really he's got to survive mm-hmm. but you again you get two perfect examples of what you could do with the same upbringing essentially you have salim who's gone down this path and you, know, you have Jamal who's this hopeless romantic which is what I like about the film and, and then you have Latika who's not a very fully developed character in a way but she kind of is in the middle you know she's not extremely hopeful except towards the end but she's not obviously in the Salim level either I think she's just kind of coping yeah unfortunately she's at times left as the princess needing to right, be saved. Right. She's kind of the objective. Yeah. Which is it's not enough depth for for a character maybe, but right. it does make the impact of the end of the film very powerful. So the the, the eventual union of these two characters, it's because we're looking for that conclusion. Once you have that motive of knight going out to save the princess then you know right. boiling it down to the most basic right element of the story there but she she has a really horrible life and if that's casting an important light on how desperate the situation is in the slums and then how that is different for for boys and girls mm yeah. Well, that's one of the things I appreciate about the film, too, is that even though it has this sort of uplifting element to the film, when it's time to really show some of these harsh realities, the film doesn't really pull back, you know, like the blinding of the kid. And then you have, you know, the, the prostitution. It doesn't shy away from really shining a light as to what that is. But at the same time, it doesn't beat you over the head with it. 
And at times it's just kind of like the scene after that is a really positive one. It's a happy one. So there's this balance that kind of goes back and forth that prevents it from feeling really, really heavy, which I think depending on your taste, I think is either a good thing or a bad thing. In my opinion, I love it. I, I think it's one of the, this is one of those films where, you know, you kind of have to buy into it. It's, it's one of those, one of those films where you got to sort of, I wouldn't call it cheesy by any means, mm-hmm. but it's one of those, like, you just got to go in and, and really just go for the ride. How much experience do you have with Indian cinema, Bollywood? Not much. So a, a lot of Bollywood films are big song and dance routines. Mm-hmm. That, so they, they yeah, will break out much, into, yeah. right. into song in the middle of the, the film. And even right. there's a film called uh, Dil Se, which is a fantastic film starring Shah Rukh Khan. It's about a, uh, a terrorist. He, he falls in love with a woman who's a terrorist. And it's, it's kind of about the conflict in, in Kashmir. She's going to blow herself up. And she's going to be a suicide bomber. Mm. And it's about him chasing her and trying to win her heart, get her to love him instead of going through with this, this horrible act. Mm. And even that film has about five song and dance routines in it. Wow. And, and it's such a serious <laughs> movie. You know? Right. That's <laughs> so, amazing. So what Danny Boyle did in this, and I really like this, they do include musical numbers, but they don't break out into... Yeah. They don't break the, the realism of the film. So they overlay the music with mm-hmm. scenes of Indian life. Yeah, it's more like and montages. Yeah. yeah. Um, I think that works really well as a compromise between right. the Indian style and the Hollywood style. Yeah, and I mean, and they do end up breaking in song at the very end. Like, literally, they break into song at the platform, and yeah. that's how the film ends, which is a very joyous ending. And that's a nice nod to the Bollywood style yeah. without affecting the progress of the story right. and the Western audience's take on it. Right, because that's even written in the script at mm-hmm. the end. like, And they dance and, and let yeah. the guy... And, I mean, it's, they fully embrace that. You yeah. know, they fully embrace that really happy ending, which I love. I love how joyous this film is. It's uh, even reading the script; it, it really comes out because it's it's edited in a very particular way, like um, how they mm-hmm. interweave all these different stories. It's like it flows as you read it, even in the script. It's a much more simplified version of the idea of the book, which was there's going to be a story behind knowing the answer to every question. And it, it allows you to go on this journey to all these different places, essentially. Yeah. To an orphanage, to the millionaire gangster's house in, in the suburb. You go to these different places yeah. as a result, and, and you're literally, with the train scenes as well, you're whisked through India. You're dropped off at the Taj Mahal. You return to... Mumbai right, and, right. and it's no longer Bombay and all this stuff. Yeah, it doesn't have the same scope as the book, but it doesn't have the time to have the same scope either. I feel like the editing and the way it's shot and the pacing, it really kind of has this sort of immersive feeling mm-hmm. when you're in the slums and it kind of really puts you in the thick of it. And that's even in the script. And I think I read that Danny Boyle, because usually when you're shooting, the script is you follow the script but to follow every single sentence is not necessarily what every director does. But Danny Boyle, like as I was reading the script, every line seemed to be 
in the film and the scenes that were there like every yeah. little action i was like oh yeah i remember that shot and and that was in there so i think he really took the time to bring everything from the script into the film because i do believe the the writer for the script spent some time in india and i don't know how long he was there for but he was there for a significant amount of time and he really wanted to infuse his script with the experiences that he had in india because he really wanted to have a first person perspective on this place so he can really kind of bring his script alive and i think it really shows that he did that yeah so there are some things that are taken out of of the final film version yeah. that were in in the script right but there's nothing that changes the overall story in any way and it's just no. a few lost details here and there a few scenes that are cut and yeah and everything like that so it's, it's not a big deal yeah. i agree with all yeah. of them i think it just it refines you know in the script we get a little bit more of prem you know we get a little of side stories side scenes with him and the makeup artist his love life his relationships and he is a little bit more aggressive towards Jamal in the script as well. Yeah, so I, I guess that's part of the uh, legacy of the book version of Prem, who really is the bad guy mm-hmm. that he's getting revenge on. And then maybe re- reflecting on the story, they realized, well, we don't need to make Prem such a bad guy because we don't really need the audience to dislike him. The betrayal adds to the tension of the overall story. That That is the betrayal when he gives Jamal the wrong answer. Right, right. So that, that adds to the tension. It adds right. a lot of drama towards the very end of the, yeah. the quiz show. Yeah. So that really works. Yeah. And Prem is the one who hands him into the police. Yeah, yeah. And that's all in there. And, you know, he just kind of seems more of a pathetic character as opposed to, like, yeah. any real threat, you know. He's, he seems to feel threatened by Jamal... Right becoming more of a star than he is he's stealing prem's spotlight by being the winner yeah exactly and uh and and i think that's right i think that's a good uh focus because if you would have made it more about that dynamic of prem being this villain or whatever that would have taken away from him and salim's relationship and sort of the other sort of quote-unquote villains in the film which is like the big bosses so I think it's uh I think it's the right balance. I'm, I think it's a good call that they cut that out. It's also notable that in the book Salim is not a bad guy at all. He's I so read that he wasn't. Yeah, yeah he's he's not he's not. They're uh, not brothers either. They're not brothers. They're both orphans. Um, so Ram, the character in the book, Ram meets him in the orphanage. Mm. They both get bought by Maman, who is the the one who's going to train them to be singers and then take right. their eyes out. Right. And they escape from there and they go to Mumbai together. Jamal and Salim live together in, in different places and Salim's dream is to become an actor. So there's a lot of the stories about the film industry come through Salim. And in the end, he does get his dream of becoming an actor. So Salim actually is a completely different character. Yeah, yeah, it sounds like it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but he's he's also through working for a gangster mm-hmm. at some point in his life, he's the the link to getting the assassin that's going to kill Prem. These stories all have a logic within the book, but that logic is lost after the characters have merged into what they become in the screenplay. Mm-hmm. And actually the gangster, who's called Ahmed in the, the book, mm-hmm. is replaced by Javed, who is right. the the local slum lord in, right. in Mumbai. Right. And takes Latika to be his 
live-in partner and Salim is working for him. And that's like the big villain for, for Jamal, really. Yeah, I would say he is. He goes through different... I mean, at the beginning, you have a different villain, which is Maman. Maman, yeah. You know, that's their childhood villain. And then... Yeah, so there's a nice middle point in the screenplay where that period of, of life is over. Maman is dead. Yeah. Latika is saved. And then Salim is the one who kind of betrays Jamal. Yeah. And that's hard to that's hard to recover from, except for the fact that Salim is the one who ultimately helps Latika escape. Yeah. I Even mean, though he, he catches her the first time she tries to escape. Right. And brings her back to this horrible live-in relationship with the gangster who's also dancing with all these other women at a party in front of her. Yeah, just having a grand old time. And I do have some thoughts on Salim's sort of redemption at the end because it feels very satisfying. Like, it doesn't feel like it comes out of nowhere. It's cathartic in some way, right? Yeah, like watching it, and I remember watching it the first time, like, it, it just made sense. And then watching it again, it's like, okay, yeah, it makes sense. But then I was dissecting it, and I'm like, but why does it make sense? He never shows signs that he's really thinking about where was that moment where he thought, oh, I'm actually going to do this. And I, and I thought about it a little bit. I'm like, we didn't really see that moment either in the script or on the film. It's very subtle, but it kind of made me dig a little bit about why he did it. And I think, this is just my theory, when he sees Jamal up on the screen, on mm-hmm. the television. I think it kind of puts in perspective. It validates everything that Jamal has been working towards. You know, he constantly... And there's a scene, actually, that was taken out from the film that's in the script where this is when they're adults. Uh, Jamal had just gone to visit Latika at Javid's house. Mm-hmm. And he tells Salim, like, I know she's there, blah, blah, blah. And Salim tells him, you know, just you're crazy. Why are you still doing this? But then when he sees him on the show, it's almost like he's validated. Jamal is validated. He kind of sees like that him not giving up has led him to the situation where he's at. And his last words is God is good right before he dies. And it's right after he looks at the, at the TV. So in a way he, kind of sees it in a very optimistic way it's just like he sees that if you do good good will come to you and Jamal ultimately proved that to him and that's why he frees Latika yeah so there's reflections of these characters early on Mm -hmm. so we have the three periods so you can call it the the early period the middle period and the late period right Right, so different actors for each group yeah in that early period we're shown Jamal's determination and Salim's deceitfulness with the story of the autograph. Salim locks Jamal in the toilet and yeah. Jamal jumps into all the shit that's underneath the toilet. Yeah. And he's absolutely coated in it. And he runs through this crowd just to get the autograph from, right. from the famous actor. Yeah. Which ended up working Which for is, him because if he uh, hadn't gone through that yeah. shit, people wouldn't have moved and he wouldn't have gone that aut- yeah. autograph. So he had to go through that shit. <laughs> yeah. So that shows Jamal's determination. Right. And that's the same determination that will get him up on, on the TV show eventually. Correct. And it's the same determination he's showing in, in trying to get Latika back. Right. And then Salim's deceitfulness, his street smarts in a way as well, but that willingness to hurt his, his younger brother selling the autograph and the fact that he locked him in the toilet in the first place. So this, this is all reflected later on and then 
when they discover Maman's intentions with them, Salim is, is safe because he's going to be the dog helper, essentially, of one of the, the thugs for the right. Maman called Panous. But he makes a decision to save Jamal right. from that fate. So he still has that, that love for his brother. Mm-hmm. And yet when Latika is running after the train, he's got his hand on hers and he could pull her up and he lets her go. Right. And that's that key moment for Salim, I think, is that decision about what he thinks is right and wrong. It comes up again, time, well, time and time again for him until eventually he makes that final decision to to risk it all just to help Jamal and, yeah. and Latika. And he knows he's going to die. Like yeah. He prepares himself for that moment. It's almost like a sense of relief for him. Mm-hmm. Just finally going in a way, I think. But I think a lot of it stems from jealousy as well. I think he's a very jealous character. And that's why he tries to overcompensate. He wants the money. He wants this. But, you know, you get all these brief moments of humanity with him. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have when they're at the Taj Mahal and they're like making a killing, you know, doing all that touristy stuff and stealing shoes and selling the shoes. And, you know, they're actually leading a good life. You know, they have money and they're scraping by. But then Jamal sees it. And it's a really great scene when he sees the, the stage and he decides he's going back for Latika, which actually that's one of the big differences in the script. In the script, he actually has a conversation with a woman. He's trying a to tourist, steal something right? from yeah. a tourist. And she kind of explains to him what the play is and the story and mm-hmm. pretty much is about true love and going for true love. And so it resonates strongly with Jamal. And it's there that he decides to have to go back for Latika. I, I assume Danny Boyle has made the decision that the visual medium mm-hmm. and the... Well, the, the audio and the visual together can tell you something yeah. that doesn't need to be explained in dialogue, but it's important that it was there in dialogue in the script because it tells you what needs to happen. Exactly. But it, then yeah. he just chose to do it, go a different direction and the operatic scene, that works. Yeah, absolutely. And, and then that's when he decides he's going to go back and Salim actually goes with him. This is one of those times where like, Salim doesn't, he's in a good place himself, so maybe he was in a good mood and he decided to go back to Mumbai, Mm -hmm. essentially because Jamal wanted to. I don't think Salim had any sort of personal interest in going back. He even says it when he's working at that that restaurant, when he's in the back in the kitchen, you know, he, he doesn't understand why he's working for money again. So, I mean, there's these little touches that make Salim a very complex character. He's not just entirely this sort of bad person he's got an array of different choices that make him much more than that which is really cool one of the details i love it's it's in both the book and the screenplay mm-hmm. is them not really knowing what the taj mahal is oh when yeah they first see it <laughs> they think it's a five-star hotel yeah with a swimming pool right in the front which is really funny <laughs> but you know what i don't buy Taurus believing everything he said like that woman yeah yeah she irritated me watching that i was like she's so stupid yeah so this story does happen in the book Uh, most of most of the screenplay is adapted from two answers to questions that is two stories about how he knew the answers to questions and Mm -hmm. the the real big story is about his time in agra by the taj mahal okay and it's called a love story and the character Ram ends up staying at this place 
he meets this kid who can't really talk. He he talks in a random assortment of letters. That's how it's it's written down on the page. It's just gibberish letters. Okay. And there's this understanding that there's something something's happened to this kid that's that's made him this way. But he lives in this big household and he gets Jamal a place to to live there. And then that's when he, he falls in love with the, the prostitute and everything. Mm. The kid who might be autistic, he essentially gets bitten by a rabid dog. And Jamal, sorry, I said Jamal, it's Ram in this version. Right. Uh, Ram tries to raise the money to, to save the kid's life with a, a rabies shot. And then, the, but it's too late and the, the kid dies. Mm. And he decides he's going to do it anyway. He's going to steal the money from the head of the household and save the, the girl who's a prostitute, who's his love at this point. And then he goes to buy her. He, he can't from the brother. And then there's another guy who has a kid who's also been bitten by a rabbit dog. Damn. And he needs the same money. So he, he decides to give the money to, to this guy and save this other kid. And the guy gives him his card. And he's the person he uses as his phone friend and gets, oh, okay. and gets the answer to a question from this guy. Right. So it's it's that sense of doing a good deed will will be repaid in mm. the future and somehow. Mm. But that's basically where a lot of this story came from is the this middle bit. But one of the things I think is really sloppy writing or just poorly executed in the film is the fact they grow up speaking Hindi and then suddenly in the middle section they just switch to English and it's not really explained. Mm, I, I do have some thoughts about that. Yeah. Okay, so let's look at... Let me just say what happens yeah. in the book first because I think this is neat writing in, as opposed to sloppy. He's brought up in this Christian household by Father Thomas. Mm -hmm. So that's why he can speak English. And the the fact he can speak English is such a huge deal. That's how he gets all these jobs in the future. So for the rest of his life, mm. he's kind of set up and able to get better jobs and interact with more people simply because he can speak English. Right. So because it's established early on how he learned English, it then explains all these other things that happen later on. And yet in the film, there's this kind of jarring thing from you're kind of half watching a, a foreign movie. Yeah. And then... Just it, the middle bit feels a bit off. That that sudden change of actors and switching the language to me felt a bit off. Yeah, I agree with you to an extent. I do feel like the middle period is the weakest of the three. Mm -hmm. And I think it does have something to do with the actors and the language thing. I honestly feel like they could have just had that entire thing in, in the same language. They don't have to go to English. I actually appreciate when... You know, I'd rather read the subtitles and have the actors speak their native tongue because they're just going to be in it more. They're going to be more expressive. And, and because if you're acting in a foreign language, half of your brain is going to be thinking about it, am I translating? So, mm -hmm. so it's not as impactful. So I think from an acting, just from an acting perspective, I think if they would have let them just speak their natural language, I think they would have, it would have been better. And I do feel like the actors themselves were not as good because, you know, you have the kids who were so good. 
Oh yeah, the they were just amazing. They the were first round of kids. Are yeah, incredible. They were just so lively, full of yeah. life, and you would think they were professional actors. You know, they were so good. And then the the middle ones, you do get a sense of their acting. There's, it's not as fluid. It's not bad. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's bad at all. But it's definitely not on par of the the beginning period. I think the best one of the bunch is probably the kid who plays Salim, which is Ashutosh Lobo Gajiwala, uh, who plays the middle middle version of Salim. And I think he did a good job because he did have some scenes where, you know, he had to like point the gun at Jamal and that huge scene. The girl who plays Latika, again, she was just kind of a She little didn't have much of a, a role in the middle one, so no, no, no judgment yeah. in that one, really. Right, yeah, yeah. Um, and the kid who plays uh, Jamal, I just felt like, I don't know, it was a little different. I think there's, a, we're able to hold our disbelief as audiences when we see a flashback to a known actor as a child, and it's, it's obviously a different child. But it works with one. But I think there's just that, that problem of adding in two different kids yeah. who do look so different and then look different to the adult version. It just, that something kind of goes wrong there. And it's really tricky because you have ages that are very close together. It's not like you're going from like yeah, they weren't a 10 year old to much, a 25 yeah. year old. Yeah. So you're going from, I think the beginning one, he was six or something and then he's, 11 or 12 and then he's 18 so i mean these are very tricky ages because they're all very different in terms of how people develop but nonetheless i it wasn't enough to pull me out of the film or anything but you do no. kind of see the i mean they look close enough and i, feel I suppose close part enough. of the question is could they have told the same story without the middle part maybe not the middle part but without having them age and maybe they could have divided it into two but but the middle, when you look at it from a story perspective, it's it's a separate period of their lives. And mm-hmm. there's that sense of going back and finding Latika and then she needs to be taken away from him again, this time by Salim, and then for more time to have passed. So it's it's a hard one. Yeah, I can see why it was necessary from a story point of view as opposed to maybe... I think it was a hard decision to mm-hmm. to keep it and not try and adapt it so you could tell it with just two rounds of actors, but it is what it is at the end yeah. of the day. And I mean, it it is very distinct, their, their stages there's, of there's their not life. Many, there's not many films, because, you know, you can do films, and this is becoming a lot more common now with, with films where you have the same actor playing the role of the character at 20, 40, and 60, and the makeup artist right. can do so much to... A, a great example of that is not even a movie, but True Detective, the first season of that, where you know they make mm. Woody Harrelson look so young and then make him look much older. And anyone who's seen Woody Harrelson when he was young, oh, you, yeah. you know, he used to have a lot of blonde hair, and they, right. they kind of recreated that in True Detective. Right. And yeah. you can do that with adults, but it's, yeah. you can't make an 18-year-old six. No. No, see, that's what I'm saying. It's very tricky. Uh, and they, they succeeded for the most part, but it is a very tricky thing because there is the... You can maybe make the 18-year-old 12, but even that's... Because it's, it's a period of time where you're constantly changing, so you're not going to yeah. look the same very often. So I'm starting to think that as as computer 
graphics get better and better and better, right? It will be more plausible to do that because you can kind of you can kind of morph images together and right. and have m- moving images that do the same thing. It's going to be related to the budget of the film, mm. the technology that's available, the actors they have, all of this stuff, and and it would it yeah. would be a significant investment. To, you wouldn't know if it would work or not. It's an interesting debate for the movie industry, anyway. Like yeah. To, to what extent yeah. we'll be able to do that? Because, like I'm saying, some of the recent films and TV shows that have had the same actor playing the same role at 20, 40, and 60 are working so well it's nowadays. really good yeah i mean that f- that flows really well with the technology at the time 10 years ago i don't think they would have been able to accomplish that so that i mean i think they did the best with the casting but i can totally see your point so another one more thing different to the book even though i keep going back to it <laughs> i know you're like oh i'm not going to talk an- about the another book nice uh surprise about the book is that he's talking to a lawyer right so it's this woman who has a kind of appeared out of nowhere and wants to hear his story and wants to represent him. And early on in the book, there's this chapter about they're living in what's called a chore, which is these these small apartments that mm-hmm. are very cheap to to rent in in Mumbai. Right. And he's living with his friend Salim, mm-hmm. and they're quite young. And uh, Salim is delivering food around town, and I can't remember what Ram is doing at that time, but. Uh, Essentially, they get a new neighbor who moves in with his family, and he's this really proud guy mm-hmm. who used to be a university professor, and he doesn't think he should be living there, and he becomes an alcoholic. And he starts abusing his wife and then starts abusing his daughter. And Ram comforts this girl, and there's this little gap between the wall that he puts his hand through, and they hold hands. And uh, like he, he tells her it's all going to be okay, and he kind of like supports her even though he can't see her Mm. because she's in the apartment next door and one day when this guy is coming home really drunk ram pushes him down the stairs that's the first murder he commits Mm. um and he does it to save this this girl and and the mother from from the abuse uh, they're suffering at home right and at the end of the book it turns out that that lawyer was that girl oh wow so she she says he actually her father didn't die so Ram had been living with the memory, like he thought he had killed someone and that's why he'd left that city and mm. gone on this big trip around India. But in reality, he hadn't actually killed him. He just hurt him and the guy like tempered his, his behavior afterwards. So he had like a positive impact on the world and he didn't actually kill anyone. But that's why the girl wants to repay him. For the film, that doesn't work because it complicates the love story because Latika is the only one. And screenplays are often responsible for this and i mean we've looked at gladiator before and the same thing happens right that the original draft of the screenplay gladiator had this relationship of uh maximus and lucilla right and then when it's finally written it was all about maximus and his his wife and they never introduce a a secondary love story because it complicates things right slumdog millionaire does the same thing it keeps all of the love focused on that one mm-hmm. character, Latika. Mm-hmm. And then every character in the book who could be, uh, the te- you know, is some sort of potential love interest for the main character is then merged into this singular character right. of Latika. I mean, it also seems like there's a lot of, um, I wouldn't call it randomness, but 
you know, like you said, it's very episodic that the book and it feels like in a, in the film, it's much more streamlined. You know, this is a much more singular story. It's much more focused. You know, it seems like the book is, there's a lot there mm-hmm. that would have been hard to sort of make into a film. You can't really do short stories as film. Yeah, that, it, that's kind of it's, rough. It, I'm sure it's been attempted. Nothing's coming to the top of my head right now, but, you know, even when it is tried, let's say Pulp Fiction, for example, is actually some short stories that really are the same story, just being told from different directions. Right, As right. opposed to completely distinct, separate stories. Right. Q&A has, has stories that have no relationship with anything else. There's one story about an old soldier, for example, just telling his his uh, experience of war. And right. Then, and then it turns out he's he wasn't really this, what he was saying, and there's all these... But it's just a short story, and it, uh, yeah. it it serves the purpose of giving you a different aspect of Indian life. But y- you know, it would really just draw you out of this. And yeah, I don't I don't see that working for for film. So I could see the the writer kind of going in a completely different direction. And the other thing I want to go into is the theme of the film. What I feel is a really strong theme, which is that of uh, luck versus fate. I mean, it's right there in the beginning. The opening question isn't in the screenplay. It's not. Yeah, so no, this not. is an interesting addition. I love it. I, th- I think it's one of the best things to get you on the hook with that movie than, yeah. than anything that could be written into the first couple of scenes. Is You have this question appear on screen. Jamal Malik is one question away from winning 20 million rupees. How did he do it? A, he cheated. B, he's lucky. C, he's a genius. D, it is written. And the answer is? The answer is A. I'm just kidding. No, it's D. And that is the answer that... And it's also something that comes up in other parts of the screenplay, right? That Salim says something is not written or it is written. um, He does say it's not written. That motive comes up. Yeah, Yeah, so he sees it from a different perspective. And actually, D is also the the answer. D is the right answer when, when Prem misleads him yeah prem misleads him yeah exactly d is the right answer he tells him it's b but it's actually d oh another thing yeah that's wonderful about about the script so it's all about how all these experiences of life lead to knowing the answers to the questions Mm -hmm. and from the very beginning you have that uh that scene where they're at school and being hit over the head with a book and they're reading the three musketeers and they use the names of the, the three musketeers. And Jamal, the child Jamal says to Salim, you know, Latika can be the third musketeer. And right. Salim says, we don't even know the name of the third musketeer. And then that being the final question is wonderful. Oh, yeah, yeah. I because it's like already it. set up from the beginning. That's good writing. That's yeah. one of the things I really like about the, the screenplay is that's set up from the very beginning. Yeah. That he doesn't know the answer to the final question. And he should know have known if th- if things had been just slightly different, but then he wouldn't even have been on the program in the first place because if he had Latika and Salim hadn't betrayed her, then right. he wouldn't be trying to find her. Right. Yeah, I I love that and the fact he guesses it. And 
But yeah. at that point, it didn't matter because he, he got back in contact with her and saved her. Yeah, that, which is exactly what he... He already had his 20 million rupees yeah. by Latika calling him. Like, that he won at that point. Everything else is secondary, which is so such a really nice moment in the film. It's no longer a commentary on all the different aspects of, of India as a society and facing up to injustice and facing up to all these dark realities. Right. But it has... It has movie magic, I'd say. It becomes it, universal it, at yeah. that point. It becomes anyone can relate to that. And, and the impact is absolutely with with the with the phone ringing and Latika realizing that she has the phone and it's oh god, even that sequence, yeah. even after watching it, still has me like, yeah. oh my god, get there fucking fast! Like I still yeah. have that feeling, which is really good editing. Yeah, it was really really well done. Yeah, you feel like she can't make it. Yeah, it's yeah. It's impossible and it's wrong too many times and and yeah. That's something that we can we we're, we're part of that generation that has grown up. But, you know, look at old movies and people didn't have phones on them all the time. And right. and it's funny how by 2007 this is only a, f- a few years after people are expected to have their own mobile phones in in India. They had, obviously it was adopted a bit later there than than in America. Yeah. But even by this point, you know, it's a critical part of the storyline and we're all on board with, with the idea that this is <laughs> this is plausible now. Oh yeah, yeah, for sure. So yeah, I, I completely buy into the whole you know, it's written. I saw it when it came out ten years ago and I was in film school at the time. And so I remember my very first sort of get together with my classmates in film school. We got into this huge debate. It was supposed to be like a like a party, but we ended up getting into this huge debate on predeterminism versus free will. Yeah. That was like the whole anything we can. That was the only thing we could talk about because we had very strong opinions. And I've you mean for for people for the real world or for film? Oh, in the real world, just okay. like you know, one of those yeah. live talks. Like you know, is everything predetermined or do we have the free will? And I always kind of come in the middle i always feel like it's a bit of both it's a paradox you know you do have free will obviously you have the you have the freedom to make any choices you want but there is a part of me that feels like everything's meant to be in a way you're here because you're meant to be here not because of some uh, you're here because you are here as simple as that and it was meant to be because you are here it's one of those motives that um our discussion with silence, for example, right, went into a lot of deep spiritual, religious kind of uh, yeah. ground, and I think this is one of those things. It's um, it's often boiled down into a nice little, you know, like cheer up, uh, you know, whatever happened, it was meant to happen, mm. kind of. It, it gets devalued uh, when when something happens in life that really feels like that it was meant to happen. It's it's such a staggering uh, experience. Yeah, and um, yeah, often we we just treat it like a kind of greeting card saying, and really the, it's it's a critical part of life. And that idea of to to what extent you're you're following free will or the the things that are happening around you are, are, are kind of leading your life in a certain direction 
it's a really powerful idea to address and the film here uses the 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 impact uh that that has uh right at the end you know when when they finally yeah. are together yeah it 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 makes you kind of feel something yeah whatever it, that is absolutely it's, it's like i said movie magic but yeah. it's it's that sense of you're ending the film on this big high note and it's kind of hard to explain why it feels yeah. so wonderful yeah but it does yeah and that's the point you and know? It, it it's partly that uh wish fulfillment you know like right because wish fulfillment is kind of what drives a, a lot of screenplays is what does the character want and how are they going to get it and when we realize that india is so much worse than the world we grew up in mm. the like the these the trials and the the setbacks for for kids living in absolute poverty are just unimaginable for for us who grew up in you know stable right. well relatively well you didn't grow up in national city so <laughs> <laughs> no no even that's not as no, bad even as like yeah. i mean the only thing near here that's comparable is some of the the homelessness in tijuana oh yeah and but even even that is kind of i mean it, it's got a lot of parallels with india yeah but, definitely but it's not something that we grew up in specifically no most people no. who are, you know watching this film so it has that impact of that jamal had, has gone through and latika herself have gone through so much worse than what we can right, imagine so right. when their wish is finally fulfilled once they finally get a break in life it's just so deserved it's ultimately the story of the underdog yeah and how you know he persevered and he didn't give up and he just took every yeah. challenge and just kept going forward and eventually that's that is the reward that he gets for that yeah for that perspective mm -hmm. and i think that's such a great uh i think that's why it feels really good because yeah. i think deep down we realize that that kind of spirit will take you mm -hmm. to those types of moments if you really follow and follow your dreams or you follow your your guidance and, and you really push yourself and i think that is within everybody and I think we recognize it when we see it. Yeah. And people push that down and they become cynical. And exactly. that's where a lot of the criticism of this film in particular is centered on that idea of, isn't it unfair to tell a story like this when so many real people are still suffering from this poverty and this in this unjust world? Yeah, if you look at it from the other perspective, though, this is... This is meant to be an inspiring story. It's not saying that the answer for everyone is to go on a, a game show and win money. That's not what it's about. It's about right. it's about the perseverance and determination. It's the same thing about Jamal jumping into that toilet. That's what it's yeah. about. Yeah. It's about, look, you want something good to happen? You want to get what you want? Go after it jump into the toilet yeah yeah you're gonna stink for a few days but <laughs> you're gonna get what you want you're gonna get that autograph go and yeah. you know risk your life trying to to get the girl you want whatever right. it is that right. you you're you're aiming for go and it, yeah so it, it 
and if you take a, if you just belittle that and say, well, that that sentiment is, you know, it's useless in the face of this miserable world. That I th I think that's kind of where the the book was kind of aiming a bit more at that. Look at how horrible certain aspects of life are, and and that's what I was trying to get at earlier, which is, you know, if you're cynical you know, you're not going to have a really good time watching the film and you're going to cringe. And, and I know people that have watching the film because it's a little too fairy tale ending for them. But it's very well earned. And I think part of the reason is there's other films that kind of are the same way. The first thing that comes to mind, the first movie that comes to mind is Love Actually, which is another film. I don't know if you've seen it. Oh, of course, yeah. It's it, on every Christmas in England. Yeah. <laughs> on TV. I fucking love the movie. And it's also one of those films where... I mean, a very cynical person could probably not watch that movie. They would want to like slit their throats because it's all very feel-goody. But the reason why that film works and this film works is because it has the tragic elements in it. It doesn't shy away from, from moments of harshness. And I think that's part of the reason why it works because it's well-earned. It's not just showing you all the fluffy stuff. I think you know, there's a couple of storylines in Love Actually that actually don't end up and on a very happy note. And I think that's the reason why it works. It, it works because it doesn't ignore the other stuff. And I think, uh, and, I, and I fully buy into it. You know, I, I, I'm an optimist ultimately. And then whenever I see it, I always get this sort of like a deeper sort of reminder of going for it. You know, for my own personal you know, it's a good boost, I think, of a movie. Yeah, I'm, I mean, the heroes we admire are those who who face the monsters that, that right. we couldn't face. You know, the, right. the heroes we admire are the ones who, who fight against unimaginable odds. We're always brought up with parents that are telling us, you need to be grateful for what you have because other kids have it worse. Mm -hmm. And when you are watching a film like Slumdog Millionaire and you're seeing right in front of your eyes the conditions... In, of the slums in India. And, I mean, Salim and Jamal lose their mother in a religious riot. Just things we cannot imagine. Right. We don't grow up in places where this happens, where just a mob one day goes and attacks another yeah. neighborhood because they happen to be different. Yeah. Thankfully, that's not the way our society is right now. Despite... In uh, our part of the world, d yeah. Despite recent movements of, of more aggressive intolerance, it's, it's not that way. And that's, that's why we, we have to be rooting for this hero. We, because we're seeing he's overcoming obstacles. We, deep down, we're scared. Like, we, could we live in those, those conditions? Could we have gone through that orphanage? Hmm. Could we have jumped into the toilet could we have done all this stuff that he was able to do just out of that that optimism and determination yeah which is why i i feel like even though he's kind of a one-note character mm -hmm. i think he's a, a great character because he embodies all these things and yeah and we're constantly rooting for him yeah trying to inspire us to yeah to yeah. To, to do as well as he does yeah exactly and to be focused on on, on whatever goal it is that we have. Yeah. I mean, this guy did not give up one bit. And uh, it kind of reminds me, like, just watching it again, sort of our own personal journey and what we're after. And are we honoring that? Are we 
persevering? Are we really going for it? Yeah, you and the, the, the image that stays with me is his smile at the end when Krem is asking him, well, what's your answer going to be? The, the phone call. You, oh, did, yeah. you didn't get the answer from, from Latika. And that smile on his face. Yeah. Because he knows yeah, the yeah. money doesn't matter anymore. Yeah. And that, that smile is what, what sticks with me. One of the images that stick with me is the scene that you mentioned of him diving into the shit. And that one shot when he has the autograph yeah, and he's holding it up and he's just cheering and you have that epic shot of, you know, kind of going around him in this very triumphant, like that is my favorite image in the film because, you know, he's covered in shit, but he is the happiest person on this planet. And I think that just pretty much sums up the film. Yeah. And now I have a big smile on my face <laughs> thinking about it. So it, yeah. Yeah. B- before criticizing this movie, it, Movies aren't about realism. That, that's the realm of documentary. Yeah. And what this film does, it does well. Yeah, absolutely. I love it. Thank you all for listening. If you've made it this far, then I hope you had a great time listening to this episode. Please do recommend us to any of your friends that you think might be interested, as the more listeners we have, the easier it will be for us to keep going and carry on doing this. Do check out the 21strewrite.com. That's spelt with a 2-1, the 21strewrite.com. And subscribe to us using the RSS feed in your favorite podcast app. Thank you.